Support comes from Adelaide Interiors. Their design team can expertly manage every detail of your renovation and remodeling project from start to finish. From bathrooms to kitchens, appliances, cabinets, countertops, flooring, and coverings. More at Adelaide.com. Support for The Zest comes from People's Gas, delivering clean, efficient, and affordable natural gas for cooking at home with precise temperature control. More at floridasenergy.com. So through the years of trial and error, because like our first year, we went crazy, of course, right? I got the speed catalog. We had like 70 different varieties of things growing (laughs) and maybe 10% of it grew well, right? (laughs) I'm Delia Colon and this is The Zest. Citrus, seafood, Spanish flavor, and Southern charm. The Zest celebrates cuisine and community in the Sunshine State. This week, we're catching up with what have to be two of the busiest guys in Florida, Chef Neven Patel and his business partner, Mohamed Alcazar. We'll discuss what it was like to open not one, but two restaurants during the pandemic, plus a lot more. Stick around for that conversation. During the height of the pandemic, while the rest of us were Netflixing and baking sourdough bread, Chef Neven Patel was busy, like really busy. He became the father of twin daughters who are absolutely adorable. You can see pics on his Instagram at Chef Neven. He also birthed two other babies, a pair of restaurants inside Thesis Hotel Miami. And those aren't even his only restaurants. Plus, he has a farm, Rancho Patel, where he grows some of the restaurant's vegetables himself. I recently caught up with Chef Neven and his business partner, Mohamed Alcazar. In our conversation, we chat about which vegetables are worth growing yourself and which are better to buy, how to create a restaurant that appeals to both locals and Florida tourists, and why okra is underrated. The guys also lament a precious menu item that's gone missing, and I speculate that their clam dealer may be up to no good. You be the judge. In the beginning, uh, a lot of it was just uh, when we opened up Mamey, like for me, it was actually a very refreshing moment because, you know, in March of 2020, a lot of things happened and our industry got kind of turned upside down. Being able to reemploy a lot of uh, people that might have got displaced from our other restaurants, it was it was good to find homes for them initially, right? And then, uh, you know, whenever you have a new start, it kind of just re-energizes you. So, you know, now opening up Orno, which we've been working on for two years now, and seeing it all finally come to life has been absolutely amazing. Well, congratulations on on all of the things. Um, And I do want to talk about Orno in a second, but I know that a lot of the people you work with are your family. So Mohammed, I have to ask you, are you and Neven related or how did you two meet and why did you decide to collaborate on Orno? We're family, but we're not non blood family. (laughs) Uh, We've been friends. I I moved to US to Miami straight in early 2016. And Neven was one of the first people I kind of met around here just through the network of the food and beverage industry in general. And we became friends really fast. You know, the second I had an opportunity for us to collaborate, which was really the food and beverage program at Thesis Hotel, which is where Mamey restaurant owner are located. You know, I, I reached out to me even again as a friend and as, as the chef that I respect most in this industry. 
and, and saw if he was willing to collaborate, and he was. And that for me was honestly a huge honor. And we're you know we're very grateful for his involvement. Where did you move from, out of curiosity? I've lived all over, but my the last place that I was living before prior to the U.S. was Dubai. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> very wow, good. very cool. I was I was in Dubai for a few years, two or three years, and then I was in Qatar for almost two years as well. So you both really bring like an international background to this. And Neven, I, I have a degree in Spanish, so I happen to know that Orno means oven in Spanish, and I'm sure you know that too. What yeah. kind of menu are we talking about here with Orno? And did your travels or Mohammed's travels inspire the menu? Yes, I mean, a lot of the menu is all about very ingredient driven and like for me orno is gonna really focus on things that are coming from our farm but also just like really connecting with a lot of really good artisans and farmers in south florida and maybe even throughout the u.s right so even from the guest perspective like every experience when you come in uh will be a little different right things will change you know, I'll give you a, a very interesting story that just happened this week, right? So we have this very specific clam, which is called the Sunray Venus clam. And no one in the U.S. has this clam. And I've been working for like four or five years with a farmer in Sebastian Inlet on the East Coast, uh, you know, Central Florida, East Coast. And he was able to finally breed them and farm them. And he has... He has he has a hundred he has a hundred thousand clams in the water for us, right? And we're the only restaurant Orno. They were in the water waiting for Orno to open up, basically. And when we open up Orno, it's become like one of our signature dishes. And two days ago, he drove from Stewart to break the news to me that he can't find the clams. <laughs> what do you mean he can't so, find they they escaped? <laughs> they were stolen? They just can't find them. They were like, kidnapped. Like three or four times the last week and either they moved or someone poached them. Something happened. Something happened. So right now, you know, so that dish like we have like maybe a day's worth of clams left and then that dish will be off the menu. OK, so by the time people are hearing this, you can forget about ordering those clams. <laughs> yeah. Or just come real quick. Yeah. <laughs> Join or, us tonight. But, you know, the good thing is, right, we have like a very good relationship. He's like, me and I can't find them. If we find them, it's, they're yours. But he just put another 400,000 in in the water, right? But they're going to take about eight to eight months to a year to get to the size that we need to grow, right? So that's a perfect example of like how Orno is going to just adapt with whatever comes our way, right? Mm -hmm. And really focus on freshness, ingredients, and being able to just highlight product in a really nice way. Well, not to be a conspiracy theorist, but what if six months from now he opens up like a clam restaurant <laughs> of his own? Yeah, I mean, I think, and that that that's a part of what we're about, right? Like I've been able through this through my whole career, right, to establish like really good relationships. So, like this guy, his name is Steve Garza. I've known him for like twelve years, right? So it's it's a very mutual kind of understanding. Wow. Those must be some expensive clams. Okay. What else is on the menu? Mohammed? what are some of your favorites? I'm ethnically from Syria. This this is the last dish I would ever say is my favorite on any menu, uh, including our restaurants. But the the hummus is actually my favorite dish. And 
it's consistently the case for me in, in whenever chef even creates a menu, it's the simplest dish, the least, you know, the least one you expect to wow you. you know, everybody's always looking at the steaks, you know, the whole fish, um, you know, the pastas, which are all incredible. But for me, it's that simple, more often than not, even vegetarian dish that wows me the most because it's probably the dish that's least likely to, to impress you. So it's, it's always that incredibly pleasant surprise on the menu. So I think the hummus and the sunchokes are my two favorite dishes, both very simple. The hummus and what was the second one? The sunchokes. They're also called Jerusalem artichokes. So think of the meatiest part of an artichoke, and it's, it, it's like they're, the whole vegetable is actually made out of that. So it, it, it's meaty, it's flavorful, um, and it, it's just incredible. That makes my mouth water. I'm a vegetarian. I actually just had <laughs> roasted beet hummus and crackers for lunch today. So that's totally oh, yeah. up my alley. We have beets on the hummus as well. So oh, hummus yeah, it's like green chickpea hummus with pickled beets. And then we make our own pita to order. That is so, so up my alley. Okay, next time I'm down your way, I got to definitely order some of that. I, I told my Facebook friends that I was going to be speaking with the two of you. And they're also smart and they have such great questions. So my friend Laura Riley was the restaurant critic for the Tampa Bay Times. And she now writes about the business of food for the Washington Post. She wanted me to ask you, Neven, do you see any parallels between the Indian flavors that you've gotten used to working with and some of the more Caribbean-inspired dishes at Mamie and maybe what you're even doing now with the new restaurant? The the beauty of how we're trying to create this group and like all our restaurants is, like for me, I love cooking all kinds of genres of food, right? So with the Indian, like when you go to ghee, it's like a whole totally different experience and then mame and orno. But the underlining kind of how we create dishes doesn't change. doesn't matter if it's Caribbean, Indian, or like new American, right? It's all about the sweet, the salty, a little bit of spicy, all those balances. And that's how we create food. And, and some are a little bit more forward. Some are very subtle. So we spend a lot of time just like developing flavor, right? In all the restaurants. That's what we're about. Yeah. I think it's almost the, the, the simplest way to create a, bold flavor if that makes any sense not overcomplicating a dish but still being able to achieve that you know punch of flavor i think that's that's what even does really well it's, it's somehow the dish is always balanced uh you know it's rarely too much or overly complicated there's always a re- certain respect towards the ingredients but then you, you get a lot of old flavors and, you know whether that's indian or new american or italian um there is that kind of underlying bold flavor. And I love, like, for me, like, highlighting vegetables is, like, my passion. So, like, right now we're growing a lot of okra on the farm. All the restaurants have okra on it, but all different, right? <laughs> okay, so and, give me give me an example. How do you riff on okra at all those different <laughs> restaurants? Yeah, so, like, at Ghee, right, we do a – have you ever had, like, Indo-Chinese – uh, have you ever even heard of? I I don't know that I have. What? How right. would I know so, if I had it? <laughs> I don't know. It's like Indian food meets Chinese food, right? And there's like parts of like Nepal and things where there's a lot of influence of like the Chinese, right? Mm-hmm. With Indian foods, right? So we do. We're doing a dish at Ghee. We're doing a okra fried rice, right? Oh. And it has like lots of curry leaf. But it has like those tones of like soy and ginger in it also. 
but it's like that balance of the Indian and Chinese, right? But then the ochre is like the star of the show. And then somewhere like Orno, like for me, one of my favorite ways to treat ochre is like grilling it. So we actually, we, we cut the ochre in half and we actually let it sit out for like a couple hours and it helps kind of dry out the ochre just at room temperature, right? And helps with the slime. And then when we grill it, it just like transforms to this like amazing, it just tastes so good. You can just eat it with like lemon and salt. And you're like eating like almost like, like you would be eating like shishito peppers, right? Um, and then underneath it, all we do is like fire roast, like some tomatoes and preserved lemon. And then that's how we highlight the okra at morning, right? It's like totally two different ways of highlighting it. But I think they're both like very delicious ways to kind of introduce people to vegetables, especially like okra, where majority of people are a little indifferent about it, right? So we try to like put it into their face and try to make them love a vegetable that they might not like so much. No, I love that. That's a great tip to make it less slimy. Um, your team actually gave me that recipe to share with our listeners. And so people will be able oh, to really? find that. Yeah. So people will be able to find that recipe at thezestpodcast.com. And I'm not going to lie. When I saw it, I was like, okra, like nobody's, nobody's trying yeah. to cook okra unless it's in like jambalaya. But I love that you're taking something we maybe wouldn't be our first, second or third choice and making it, um, making us look at it in a new way. Now you mentioned that you're, you're growing a lot of okra on the farm. Mm -hmm. We have to talk about this farm, Rancho Patel. What are you doing with a farm? Why not just order your vegetables like everybody else? Well, I mean, it, it all starts with like quality, right. And being able to control that quality. So that's where the whole basis of the farm started. Like we only, we, we grow very specific things because I have one full-time farmer and me and my father-in-law. That's who kind of tend the backyard. So we focus on like four or five things and try to do it really well and grow enough where it can supply our restaurants versus trying to do so much. And then we support other local farmers with the other stuff. But it all starts with being able to control the quality. So like something like the okra, and I'll go with the okra because we're talking about it. We literally go through 200 okra plants a day right? Because the okra goes from like the perfect tenderness, size, and taste. And the next day, if you don't pick it, it goes into like this very chewy, woody, not edible kind of vegetable. Because like right now it's still hot down here. So it grows like very rapidly. So you got to go through every day, but if you control that, you get an amazing end product, right? So we that's what it's all about and it's like highlighting things that we can add on to our menus to kind of even a mango right like when we're in summer season we have mangoes we have we pick probably around like two thousand pounds of mangoes from our trees but we literally pick everything and then let it ripe at room temperature until they're perfect instead of like letting it ripe on a tree like a mango is different so like most mangoes that you get here in South Florida, either it falls on the ground and then you pick it and then you eat it, right? We're a little mango snobs. <laughs> like if, the, if the mango hits the ground, we don't even eat it. Oh my gosh. What's your favorite variety of mango? It's called Southern Blush. 
Ooh. It's it's yeah, it's called Southern Blush. It's a rare variety. It sounds like variety. a reality show or something. You know, <laughs> soap <right>? opera. <laughs> but yeah, so it's just like being able to capture the best expression of fruit or vegetable. That's what we try to do at the farm. I love that. And then it contributes to what Muhammad said about the dishes being simple, but just so flavorful because you're starting with good ingredients. Okay. And even you mentioned that you grow some of your own and then Mm -hmm. some you outsource. So for people at home who are maybe trying to figure out what should I grow in my garden and what should I buy at the farmer's market or the grocery store, what advice would you have? Right. Heirloom tomatoes are awesome, right? But we stick with heirloom tomatoes that are like more baby, right? Like Sun Golds, or there's an indigenous variety here in South Florida called Everglade tomato. But stick with the small ones, because the bigger ones, if you don't know how to manage the pest control and all that, and we use, we do everything organically. So by the time they get big, the bugs kind of start eating them. So like the smaller ones, you can get quantity and it's a lot easier to grow, right? So through the years of trial and error, because like our first year, we went crazy, of course, right? I got the seed catalog. We had like 70 different varieties of things growing <laughs> and maybe 10% of it grew well, right? <laughs> and so through trial and error, like that's a perfect example, right? Like leave something like an amazing heirloom tomato to the farmer who's like specializes in. There's a farm in, in Homestead that specializes in that and they have the best tomatoes. But leave that to them and then we'll grow like some more specialty stuff, right? So that's how we kind of balance it. And then a lot of it is just trial and error. So just like keep growing stuff. Some stuff's not going to work. It's just not going to work. You know, even us, right? We grow a lot of stuff and now I just don't grow peppers. Okay. I've never had peppers, right? But it's just one of those things sometimes. You just got to trial and error and and I'm not like a pro farmer. So if it doesn't work, I just ask another farmer to grow peppers for me. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. All right, let's zoom out a little bit. Mohammed, I saw photos of the restaurant and it's so beautiful and you just want to spend time there. So can you talk to me about the design and kind of paint a picture for us of what it would be like to step into Orno? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the focal point really for the restaurant, and you said it with a name, and I did want to clarify something with the name. Uh, first of all, Orno sounds like it means oven, right? The way we wrote it, if you notice, it's actually O-R-N-O. The way you say Orno in Spanish is H-O-R-N-O. And then the way you say oven as well in Italian is Forno, which is F-O-R-N-O. Uh, we stripped the name of the H and the F on purpose because we, we didn't want to be you know, new American cuisine really is categorically defined. It's not linked to one cuisine or one nation. Uh, so we wanted to make sure that we made people feel as you did, like it's about an oven, it's about wood grilling, uh, because that is the focal point. When you walk in, you see a beautiful wood grill, you see a beautiful wood oven, uh, and then you see a lot of earthy tones. You know, there's a lot of different shades of greens, there's a lot of different shades of, you know, brown and beige. I, I think it's all a little bit of a, you know, homage to the food, to the menu, uh, to the concept itself. And even the tile that you see, it's actually, the, the tile has been made in an oven. So it's actually wood fired, the tile in the restaurant. All that green tile that you see is different shades. Some is glossy, some is less glossy. And it's actually because of how the ash falls on them in the oven when they're cooked. Uh, so it's actually very similar to the way we, we make our food. Uh, we try to make sure that everything we're doing in there is really tied. So I think when you walk in, you already feel the 
warmth and the kind of the serenity of fire, which I always say that a lot of people, you know, view fire as energy or, you know, maybe wild or whatever. I actually see it as very calming, right? And I, I love that about the restaurants. You, you kind of walk in, you see the, the, the oven, you see the grill, um, you even see the way that the kitchen and, and somebody that was dining there a few days ago told me it's, it's such a pleasure to see such a well-organized, calm kitchen, uh, which you don't get that often in an open kitchen, right? It, 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 it's true. I think it's a lot of it from Chef Neiman's demeanor, which is not the demeanor of a chef that you're always used to in our industry. And that comedy is kind of seen throughout the restaurant, throughout the design, throughout the service. Just um, great. Yeah, calm is not a word you hear when you talk about a kitchen. Okay, Neven, now I got to ask you, this wasn't on the list of questions that I sent you, but how do you stay calm? You've got a lot going on that you're juggling. Do you have any practices? I spoke with Chef uh, Greg Baker up here in Tampa a few months ago about mental health, and he had like certain practices that he does to kind of keep himself calm. Yeah. So do you have any advice along those lines? I have no practices, but... I, I got I got very lucky and blessed with I just love what I do and I'm around people that understand my passion for what I do from my house to everyone that works with us um, and they let me do what I love to do so that's what creates the calmness I would say like the teams that we've been able to build in all the restaurants and then even the understanding from my household and the support that I get from my wife and my extended family, like they, they make it all happen and they let me do what I love to do. And that's what creates that calmness, I would say. Yeah, I'll kind of actually second that and just say the importance of identifying what each one of us is really good at and more importantly, what you really enjoy doing, you're more importantly, because sometimes you're good at something that you don't you know, necessarily enjoy doing in, in any in your business. There's always parts that, you know, there's things that I'm good at, I don't necessarily love them. I love what we do. That's great. Okay, speaking of what you love to do, um, we have another mutual friend, Carlos Frias, who's the Miami Herald food editor. He wanted me to ask you, I guess your daughters only have two choices in life. They have to be chefs or farmers. Which one do you pick for them? (laughs) There are no other options. I would say farmer. I would say farmer. (laughs) Why is that? Oh, Just being outside is amazing. You know, it's awesome. But I think, you know, this this industry of cooking has brought me so much gratitude. So um, and now, like, as our industry grows, there's so many outlets, right? It just doesn't have to be cooking or farming. It's like there's so much that we can do in this industry to kind of fulfill a lot of things. Right. So <laughs> how, how old are they? <laughs> a year and a half. <laughs> oh, gosh. Carlos, free us. Give them a break. They're just, I know. They're not even on potty training yet. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, <laughs> fine motor skills before we plan their entire future. <laughs> okay, Mohammed, you did such a great job of describing what the restaurant looks like and thinking about it in terms of the entire Miami landscape. I know that it's located inside the Thesis Hotel. And Miami is obviously so popular with tourists. So did you guys think about the, the tourism aspect when you were planning the menu in the restaurant? Or how do you sort of think about it in terms of locals and tourists? In launching these restaurants, when you say about tourism and locals, we were, I would say, 
8% focused on locals. And we actually ensured that we positioned these restaurants as non-hotel restaurants because unfortunately, I think hotel restaurants do have a little bit of a negative connotation to them. And we wanted to ensure that the community knew that these restaurants are built for them and they're not, we're not trying to capture tourists. We would love to, for tourists to get a local experience. And you can only achieve that if your restaurant is actually tailored to the local community. Um, and we, you know, love this community. I mean, when I say love it, the community of Coral Gables, South Miami is a wonderful community to be a part of. It's a loyal community. We're really proud to see a lot of our guests that we used to know from Wynwood, Miami Beach, and Brickell making the journey down here, which is not very common for restaurants at Coral Gables. But we're, we're just incredibly thankful for this community because we, we built it, tailored it to what they like. You see, Mame is an island-minded concept is what we call it. You know, it's very Caribbean, fruit-forward, lots of balance of sweet, savory, sour. And you see that throughout the beverages, throughout the food. The concept's fun. The music is fun. And I think that's very tailored towards Coral Gables. There's a, you know, a, a huge Hispanic community, and they truly enjoyed it. We did Orno being a different concept, but we did the same thing. I think we, told it, we tailored it to what we thought the local community really enjoyed and hope that the tourists staying at the hotel wanted to get a taste of that. That's always a good sign when the people inside look like they're locals. You're like, yeah, that's where yeah. we're going. <laughs> yeah, it's something brings on when you see a lot of families. I think that's also an important thing that I always look for. Uh, you know, we see a lot of families, and, and I think that's, that's a great positive indicator. Lots of returning guests to, you know, it's great that all these systems that we use now make it so easy to track you know, number of visits, time of visits, all this data that helps us really gauge of how we're doing with our with our local community. Well, that's great. You're having some early success. I'm curious. I think, Mohammed, you use the term new American cuisine to describe the food. And I've seen that in other articles I've read about Orno and things like that. Now, as as two men of color, did you get any pushback when you decided to bring forth new American cuisine? Do people have an idea of the type of food that you should be making? I, I think I'll speak, I mean, it's probably the better answer, but I'll, I'll just start by saying, I actually think because we're two people of color and because we're well-traveled, I think people actually appreciated it more because again, new American, in my opinion, it's really just a type of cuisine that almost says this is not related to any specific country. And I think that's how we both kind of feel, you know, even hails from Indian uh, ethnicity. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm Syrian, but I was also born in Madrid. So I was born in Spain. I lived half my life in Spain. I lived eight, nine years in Spain. I lived 17 years in Syria. I lived six years in the Gulf between Dubai and Qatar. And now I've been here for six, seven years. So I don't feel one thing or another. You know, for me, Spain's my country. Syria is my country. I, I got a lot of influence from the Gulf. And honestly, now I don't see myself ever living anywhere besides the U.S., especially besides Miami. I can never see myself living anywhere else. So I, I don't feel tied to a nation. That's how the cuisine is. I don't want to speak for, for Chef Neiman, but I think it's very similar for him, too. We're tied to really bringing people incredible food and, you know, this humble approach to service guests and hospitality. And I think that's what we're about more than where's this cuisine from. Yeah, right. and like... My whole career, I did everything but Indian food, right? I, I spent some time in Italy, Grand Cayman, a lot of time in South Florida. And so I got trained and very well versed in what we do 
like that style of food that we're doing in Orno, right? But my first restaurant that I did it by myself was obviously ghee and the Indian restaurant. So everyone initially associates myself with Indian food, which is awesome. But then like my whole 14 years before that was everything but Indian food. And that's why it's been so fun and refreshing to have, you know, I bounce around to all three restaurants almost on a daily basis. And for me, that's what keeps me going every single day because everyone's so different. And that's what keeps me stimulated. I would say like every day, just like everyone's different being able to change menus and create like we were just in i was just in may all morning and we were talking about doing like or like a root vegetable salad but how do we make it a style that fits may right so it's like how do we make like a root vegetable salad that has like kohlrabi and celery root and things like that but we'll make it in the flavors of like what you would do in like a vietnamese green papaya salad so that's what makes it fun for me every day to kind of bounce around and do things like that. Well, I'm just dying to get to these restaurants. <laughs> they all sound amazing. I love everything that you're doing with vegetables. Is there anything else either of you wants to add or anything that you have coming up that you want to share? I actually just wanted to tie something that you touched on honestly early on. And I kind of want to talk about who we are and what we're trying to do. Um, you, you were asking about Steve, you know, the gentleman who sourced all the Sunray Venus clams for us. And one of the questions I think you asked early on is, what do you do if he opens a clam restaurant all of a sudden and he needs all that? And Neiman and I really thought long and hard, I would say, about why we want to create Alcarina Restaurant Group, right? We partnered up to create these restaurants at Thesis Hotel, and that was one thing. And then we really cemented this partnership by creating operating restaurant group. And the reason why we did that is we said, we want to put an equal amount of effort in enhancing the lives of each of our stakeholders. And we really mean that. And, and what that means is, how do we really enhance the lives of our team? More than what you normally see in the industry. How do you, you know, we're always talking about getting the kitchen paid better. And, you know, how do you get to that? And how do you kind of bridge that gap or, or really decrease the gap between front of house uh, certain positions and back of house, similar positions that require this, you know, similar amount of skill sets, even more hours on the back of house side. Um, you know, our stakeholders are also our farmers, our suppliers. So if, if Steve, because of us now, everybody knows that he has these clams, and everybody's asking him for him, you know, of course we have these great relationships in which he's always going to kind of prioritize us, but honestly, good for him. And if he opens his own clam restaurants one day, he can no longer supply us and he's doing what's good for him. And I think we are kind of proud to have maybe played a very tiny role in him getting to that. And I think that's how we want to approach everybody. Our investors, the two founding partners, Brent Reynolds and Charles Nolan, who really allowed us even this opportunity. Um, you know, how do we give back to them? How do we give back to our team? And if, if everybody prospers the same thing, then we, we, we did what we set out to do. Well, Mohammed and Neven, it was such a treat to talk to both of you and good luck finding the clams. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we need it. I hope you hear this. I know. <laughs> that was Chef Neven Patel and Mohammed Alcazar of Alperino Restaurant Group. Neven shared his recipe for non-slimy grilled okra straight from the Orno restaurant menu. Find it on our website, thezestpodcast.com. I'm Delia Colon. I produce The Zest with Andrew Lucas. This week we had help from Chandler Balcom, Mark Hayes, and Lily Tyson. The Zest is a production of WUSF Public Media, copyright 2021.